welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to Series 9 and Episode 9, The Tragic Death of Lazarus. We're going to be studying in John 11, verses 1 to 37. If you've been following Series 9, you'll be aware that we've been following Luke's Gospel for several episodes. And in fact, Luke provides much of the material for this part of Jesus's life and in the slightly earlier period. And it's between Luke and John that we get most of the story of the events that took place as Jesus left Galilee and headed to Jerusalem. We now switch from Luke to John and we're going to focus on a very well-known and important story that John tells in great detail concerning a man called Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha have appeared in the story already, and we're going to hear a bit more about that in just a moment. But let's introduce the story by just reading the first three verses of John 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus was now sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So here we have a family, two sisters and a brother we don't know much about the rest of the family or their relatives or whether they were married or single we'll comment on that perhaps just in a moment but we have three members of the family mentioned and we have a location which is Bethany a village that's just outside Jerusalem which features significantly in our story later on and Jesus is summoned. He's elsewhere in the country at the time, but a message is sent to him by Mary and Martha because they're very worried about Lazarus. This isn't a, a virus or a cold or a, a throat infection or something small. This is obviously a serious illness. We don't know what it is, but they are worried that he is going to die. And this Mary of Mary and Martha is mentioned here by John as also being the Mary who poured perfume on Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And this refers to an event later on in John's Gospel during the last week of Jesus's life when in Bethany at a meal where Jesus was a guest, Mary poured perfume on Jesus and it was symbolic of preparing him for his death in Jewish culture. So that's another well-known incident about Mary, which we'll come to much later on in our studies, which John just refers to briefly here. So the message comes to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now this immediately indicates to us a significant relationship between Jesus and this family. Now the wonderful thing of studying the Gospels together is that they provide information that help us to understand the other accounts. 
you gather the information together and you get a fuller picture. This is a very good example. Bearing in mind that John was the last one to write his gospel, he tended to assume that people had a working knowledge of Matthew, Mark and Luke, and he added in significant details and stories such as this one, but didn't always refer back to material that related to them. This is a good example, but in fact, we know from an earlier episode that some of you may remember that Jesus has already once before been to the home of Mary and Martha. So it'd be good to refresh our memories and just go back to this brief description, which appears in Luke 10 verses 38 to 42. Let's read that together because this gives us the background that helps us to understand the relationships between this family and Jesus. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to Jesus. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Well, this is the famous story of Mary and Martha, which is used in Christian thinking to characterize different personalities, and we'll leave that story aside for the moment. But let's just think about Mary and Martha as a family unit. So it's Martha's home we're talking about. Jesus comes to a village that Luke doesn't name, but we know it's Bethany because John tells us that in John chapter 11, Bethany near Jerusalem. So they're near Jerusalem at this point. He comes to this home. She offers hospitality and her sister appears to be living with her at home. There's no reference to husbands, children, parents or any other relatives which suggests possibly that these are two single women living in the family home. Maybe their parents are there too. Maybe their parents have died. We don't know. But Mary and Martha are introduced to us and Martha is generous in the hospitality because when Jesus came to stay, a lot of people came with him and there was a lot of work to be done as Martha found out. And Mary had a particular sense of devotion to Jesus. She was unable to really focus on the domestic duties. She just wanted to listen to Jesus and to learn from him. So we have that story in the background. And this suggests that some kind of a relationship of friendship developed between Jesus, Mary and Martha. Now Lazarus, their brother, is not mentioned in Luke's account, but is mentioned in John's account and the implication is that Jesus knows Lazarus as well as he knows Mary and Martha which suggests either Lazarus was present in the account in Luke 10 or Jesus visited on other occasions that are not recorded in the Gospels. But what we see here is a particular affection between Jesus and the three named members of this family, the brother and sisters 
Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. So when they sent word to Jesus, verse 3 of John 11, Lord, the one you love is sick, that implies a significant relationship that Jesus has real affection for Lazarus and will be concerned for him on the grounds of friendship as well as on the grounds of sheer human compassion. Let's read on the story a little bit further. Let's read verses 4 to 16 in John 11. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they will see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Well, this is a quite an intriguing story here unfolding. Jesus believes and understands that God is going to be glorified through this seeming tragedy that is taking place. And we see very clearly his friendship for the family. Verse 5, it says that he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. There's a human component here that's very strong. Jesus had a number of close personal friends. And John identifies these three as being amongst them. But notice, Jesus didn't rush. Whenever we hear that someone's in trouble or critically sick, the very first tendency we have is to move quickly, to rush, to get to the bedside, to get to the place, to get to the house, to get to the hospital as quickly as we can. But Jesus stayed where he was and waited for two more days. Now, he was busy in his ministry. If we follow the chronology of John's gospel, he was on the other side of the River Jordan, John 10, verse 40. He was outside Judea 
in a neighbouring district called Perea, in the southern area of the country, but the other side of the River Jordan, which was the main dividing point, east of the River Jordan. And that was a different jurisdiction that was ruled over by Herod Antipas or Herod the Tetrarch, rather than directly by the Romans under Pontius Pilate in Judea. So in order to go back, he had to make a reasonably long journey. And one of the interesting things about this journey is that going back into Judea at this point caused the disciples to be anxious. They're a bit worried. They remembered what happened when Jesus was previously in that district. Jerusalem is at the centre of Judea. He'd been in Jerusalem recently and had some real hostility with a threat even upon his life through a spontaneous act of stoning him. We see this in John 10 verse 31 and referred to in John 11 verse 8. But Rabbi, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you're going back. They know where Jesus is going. He's going to Bethany. It's only about three kilometers outside Jerusalem. He's going right back to that place of danger towards the end of Jesus's life. Jerusalem and the surrounding area became a dangerous place. The influence of the religious leaders was strongest in those areas. Their headquarters were in Jerusalem. They were already intent on killing him. So for Jesus to go back to Bethany involves an actual risk of physical attack or arrest or some other form of harassment. Possibly even his life would be in danger. Such was the conflict with the religious authorities. And that explains why Thomas says in verse 16, let us also go that we may die with him. He's acknowledging the risk that this could be the end of their ministry. And interestingly enough, Thomas shows real courage here. This is the same Thomas we call Doubting Thomas because in the time of Jesus' resurrection, he wasn't present at the time when Jesus came to the house in Jerusalem where the disciples were present behind locked doors for fear of the Jewish leaders. And Jesus revealed himself to them and Thomas for some reason wasn't there and he said, I'm not going to believe until I actually see Jesus. I place my hands in his side and actually touch him and feel his physical presence. So we call him Doubting Thomas, but it was a fairly legitimate doubt in the context and his bravery here suggests a man of real character. And we know that from early church history, the traditional records tell us that Thomas traveled far and wide, far to the east of Israel, into the Middle East and towards India to preach the gospel. So here's a courageous man. Here's an act of courage from Thomas. He thinks there's danger, but we need to go because Jesus needs to respond to this need. And Thomas probably had faith that Jesus was going to do something miraculous. There had been people raised from the dead in the past that the disciples had seen. And Thomas seemed to take a, a view that Jesus was going to do something significant, even though there was a real risk. Verses 17 to 37 tells us the poignant and emotional story of Jesus's arrival in Bethany and his meeting with Martha and Mary 
after Lazarus's death. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles or three kilometers from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who'd been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Lazarus was dead by the time Jesus arrived. And it was the Jewish custom to place the body of the deceased in the tomb very quickly. And then the whole community joined in, in showing their respects in public mourning. Crowd would go to the tomb side at the time of burial and then the community would be in a state of mourning for some time. People would come to the house of the family, show respects. People would go to the tomb side and many would weep in public for the person who has been lost. We see a similar scene earlier in the Gospels in Luke 7 when Jesus raised the son, the only son of a widow in a place called Nain. And I'm just going to read the account very briefly, just to remind us of the sort of atmosphere that existed around this situation. Luke 7 verse 12 and verse 13. 
As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. So in this particular case, the funeral party were heading to the site of the tomb, and a large crowd from the town was with her. This is indicative of the sort of mourning. People in a whole community will engage in an act of mourning in a small village like Nain, and for that matter, like Bethany. So we can imagine large crowds being on the street at the side of the tomb, talking amongst each other, coming to the family home, bringing gifts. And this is the context in which Jesus arrives. Public mourning is already taking place. Jesus talks to Martha, first of all. She's so regretful that Jesus had not come in time. What she anticipated was Jesus performing a healing miracle on a sick man. That was the sort of thing Jesus did hundreds and thousands of times. And Martha knew about that and would have seen some of those healing miracles. But no, it was not to be. But she had faith in Lazarus being raised again from the dead at the last day, that is the day of God's judgment and the day of the end of this age that the Jews believed in. So she generally had the right understanding of what would happen, that he would be raised again at the last day. And most Jews at this time believed in a physical resurrection. Not all Jews did. The Sadducees didn't believe in a physical resurrection, but most of the Jews did. But they didn't have very clear idea how this whole process was going to happen. Jesus comes in and declares, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha says, yes, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. She has a very strong faith in Jesus. It's not just a friendship. It's not just sentimental. It's not just because Jesus has been to the home and he knows the family and she's expressed hospitality towards him and his disciples. No, she believes. She has a living faith, but she doesn't know how to apply her faith to this tragic circumstance that her brother has died. We can assume he's probably relatively young, and so that makes the death that much more tragic. It's a premature death that we are talking about. Then Mary comes. She's distressed. She wanted Jesus to come earlier. She doesn't understand why Jesus took so long to travel over. And during the time between the message being sent to Jesus and his arrival in Bethany, during that very time, Lazarus had died and breathed his last. And Jesus asked to be showed the tomb. The tombs, generally speaking, were outside the area of the village, just nearby on the outskirts or just beyond the outskirts of the village. And so they took him to the place of the tomb. And as he was going to the tomb, or perhaps when he got to the tomb, Jesus's emotions became very intense. And we have this amazing 
powerful and unique biblical verse in the Gospels, uh, the shortest verse of the Gospels in John 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. Now he wept in identification with the suffering of Mary and Martha principally. Maybe you know that feeling where other people's distress is so powerful in your consciousness that you cry with them. You're crying more for them than you are for yourself. Jesus identified with the family in a profound way. Now, John is telling this story in very considerable detail. And in the next episode, we will see how amazingly Lazarus is raised again from the dead, miraculously. And there are only three clear-cut examples of resurrection in the Gospels, where Jesus actually raises people from the dead. This is the third and the last one. The first one is in Galilee. Jairus's daughter, a young girl who died prematurely and was lying on a bed at her home. And Jesus comes to the house and raises the child up after she's stopped breathing and died and people are mourning, crying outside the house. That's the first time. The second one is the widow of Nain's son that we saw in Luke's Gospel in southern Galilee, where Jesus came to this town called Nain. And just as he's approaching to come and preach and teach and heal, this funeral party is coming out and this widow comes. She has no husband. She has no other sons. She is destitute. She's bereft of help. She's lost her son. He's died prematurely and Jesus raises him from the dead. And this is now the third directly stated resurrection. And again, this is a premature death, almost certainly. The circumstances suggest that Lazarus is not an old man. And he is raised also from the dead. So as we conclude this episode, we're looking forward to the next one because we want to see how the story ends. So I'd encourage you to get on to the next episode as quickly as you can and keep all that we've said in mind as you go and hear the story. But let's reflect on where we've got to so far. In this story, we see a clear demonstration that Jesus had profound human friendships, certainly with his family, Martha, Mary and Lazarus. Also, for example, with the disciple whom Jesus loved, John 13, verse 23, and towards the end of John's gospel, we see that expression used. Probably it refers to John himself a disciple with whom Jesus had a particular close friendship. The second thing we should reflect on here is that Jesus took a risk going to Bethany. This was now hostile territory, just outside the city of Jerusalem, where he'd nearly been stoned to death not so long ago. He was taking a risk. But also... This resurrection that's going to take place in the next episode, as we'll see, is a prophetic sign to the people of Jerusalem. Jesus is going to eventually come to Jerusalem and eventually die there and be raised again from the dead himself in 
the city area. Now we all weep and mourn like Jesus did on this occasion. But the mourning, the weeping and the crying of Christians who lose loved ones and face bereavement is not the same as the sense of loss experienced by those who are not believers. Paul makes this clear. We weep. We feel for those who are left. We feel our own sense of loss, and that's important. But it's not utterly hopeless. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Our faith isn't only for this life. It's for eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 22 to 25. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all authority, dominion and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. We have a hope for eternal life and for resurrection life. Jesus proclaims here unambiguously that he is the resurrection and the life. The physical resurrection of people like Lazarus and the widow of Nain's son and Jairus' daughter are prophetic indicators that life goes beyond the grave and there will be eternal life for those who believe and an eternal physical life in a resurrected body. And we're going to study that in much more detail when we get to series 14 and we look at Jesus' own resurrection. This is a powerful and very human story, but it's only part one. Part two comes in the next episode and I hope you'll join us and so we can share it together. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.